Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Shattered Lives. Uh, we decided to get on here and talk once again about Jerry Hutch um, because it is the saga that keeps on giving um, and there's a huge fallout to it. And we're also here to talk about Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy, uh, who were due to be sentenced today, but we'll explain why the sentencing didn't exactly uh, get going today. So without further ado, just to introduce uh, Michael O'Toole, crime correspondent with the Irish Daily Star. Hello again. Hello, Paul Healy, Chief Reporter. You're, you were back in the special today. Had you missed it? It was three weeks today since the verdict. Oh, it's like deja vu. I, going back to the special criminal court, it's just, what would a Monday be without more <laughs> more court? Before we get into it, were there, were there many crowds at this today or was it just a procedural thing, really? Uh, procedural, much quieter affair. I mean, a, a fair bit of media, obviously, but... Um, the public interest, I suppose, at large has waned a bit, obviously because Jerry Hutch has been acquitted. That was the headline of the day. Um, this really was about Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy. Um, but as you reported yesterday, Mick, um, I suppose, it, and it, we didn't really realise that this would become an issue, that, that the case of Jerry Hutch would be called again uh, in that he is seeking to uh, recuperate or seeking to have the state pay his legal fees because he's won his case so he's entitled uh, to to make this particular application and it's a, a, a potentially a huge sum of money so you reported I think it was upwards of 400,000 could be even more than that though uh, you know I mean I think I think I saw an estimate it's something like four or five thousand per day now that's just uh it, it, that that's just like procedural for like having a, a, your barrister, your legal team in court every day. So there's 52 days in this trial. So if you're just counting that, that's quarter of a million. But then there's plenty of other fees that come with that as well. So well, yeah, I mean, I'll just explain this. And also, there's a thing called a brief fee. So whenever you take on a barrister, you have to pay them a certain amount. And it's all a movable fee, and it's an agreement between you and and the barrister. It could be ten grand, fifteen grand, twenty grand, but that's the ballpark figure. However, that two, you're right. I mean, it is about four grand a day for a senior counsel. Brendan Graham, I mean, he earned his corn in this case, and he, he's entitled to every single penny because he he effectively won. Uh, Jerry Hutch's liberty, and he, I mean, uh, people who write about this, it was a fantastic performance by Brendan Wren. But you know, he's entitled to charge a fee. So now, what was really interesting about this, and it only was, it only occurred to me a few weeks before the trial came on, that you'd been, you'd been at, at when people are charged with murder, Paul, or serious offences. Um, there's usually an application for legal aid on the very first appearance. So, say if someone's charged with murder today, the last thing will be judge. Can we get medical treatment for the accused? And also, can we get legal aid? And there was no legal aid application by Mr. Hutch. And it totally, you and I were at it, passed me by. Yeah, it passed me by as well, to be honest. Um, and it only kind of occurred to us at the end of the case that actually there hadn't been an application for legal aid. And that is fascinating because that's highly unusual in a case of this magnitude, certainly, uh, that a person wouldn't apply for legal aid. And they would now... Uh, be uh, applying for their costs to be covered by the state in hindsight, obviously because he's won his case. Uh, had he lost his case, uh, he would have had to pay every penny of this himself. Um, but I think the the you're, we're probably going to get to it now. But the reason behind maybe why uh, Mr. Hutch did not apply for legal aid is because you have to provide a what's called a statement of means uh, and to explain. Uh, where your money is coming from. Um, perhaps he didn't want to get into that. We know that Jerry Hutch is a man uh, with plenty of money. 
so maybe that he, he feared uh, being possibly put under scrutiny in relation to that. Uh, it's not clear what the reasoning is, but he, he certainly is a man with properties all across Europe. We know that, uh, factually speaking, at a settlement with the Criminal Assets Bureau, um, £1.2 million. So, I mean, he is a man with plenty of money. Um, but what happens next now is is fascinating because what what the the development today was that the state is actually objecting uh, to his particular application uh, to to have uh, his legal costs covered by the state. So it'll be interesting to see what their objections is, and that might all then get trashed out as to well, Mister Hodge is a man of means and or whatever. Yeah, let's go back just a wee bit. Yeah, so uh, it is very. I'm, I'm going to say it's like hen's teeth. Uh, someone accused of a very serious charge like murder or rape, something that goes to the Central Criminal Court. And the Special Criminal Court is effectively treated like the Central Criminal Court, so it's the top court. I, I, I was speaking with several really experienced court reporters. Personally, in my 25 years, I've never heard of somebody charged with murder not seeking legal aid. And I checked with other eminent uh, court reporters and they weren't aware of any. So I think we'd be safe enough saying this is, if it's not the first if it's not the only, it's one of less than a handful. So it's very, very rare. And even, you know, he could have uh, sought legal aid at any stage in the process. It was September 2022 when he was charged and the case started in October last year. So it's 13 months effectively and at that there was no stage. So so what has to happen is he comes to an agreement with his legal team and he receives a Section 50 letter under the law. Under Section 50 of this law, you have, your legal team have to send you a letter saying this is a rough estimate of how much it's going to be. So we don't know, but you're right, 250,000. But even it was explained to me yesterday when I was speaking to some legal sources, that's only for the barristers. Then you've got the legal team and they can, you know, just speaking generally, solicitors charge every time they have to photograph a page, literally. And sometimes there can be hundreds of thousands of pages. I'm sure there were hundreds, tens of thousands of pages in this, but that's on top of their time and everything. So look, it was speculated to me. I, I think 250,000, I know that's been reported on, is on the low side. I think 400,000, if not higher, that's a lot of money. Now, I did note what you were saying about the state objecting to that. I wonder, is part of the reason for that Miss Tara judgment, Miss Tara Burns' judgment when she, what did she say about Jerry Hutch and criminality? You know, about control of the firearms, the Kalashnikovs and that sort of stuff. So I wonder, will the state go, well, you know, this man was declared not guilty, but there were things in your uh, uh, statement or your, 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 your findings, Your Honour, that do point to criminality and that leave Mr Hutch with a problem? Well, I wonder even, well, can they bring in the larger history of the settlement with the Criminal Assets Bureau and 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 his, you know his past in that regards and his and his connections to criminality and the allegations that he is at the head of this Hutch criminal organised group which has been proven in court to exist, um, yeah, all of that I think they may potentially uh, bring into their objection. It'll be fascinating to see. And um, the other thing that's worth mentioning is that he took a case. Uh, to the Supreme Court, and he, he like he, so he took other uh, cases that's that with the same legal team that's obviously going to add to that massive bill. And it, did he take a bit of a gamble as well? I mean, like if, if he had been found not guilty, he obviously must have been prepared to pay uh, a hefty sum. Uh, so he has the money, or at least oh, he does. You know, and, indicated, and it's would. interesting because when I was looking at the the question of fees yesterday. He was ordered to pay costs in relation to that Supreme Court 
uh, bid. He lost it. So he had, no, I can't remember, was it was it full cost or half cost? But he had, and going to the Supreme Court is a good whack. And I, if from memory, he, that was to the Supreme Court because he wanted a jury to hear his case, not the non-jury special criminal court. But he did lose that and he was hit with a bill. So he has that and he can't recoup that because that he lost that case. He can recoup these bill fees, but he can't recoup that one. So that's, that's, that's more than a few quid already. So... It'll be interesting to see what Ms Justice Tara Burns decides in the coming days. I think it's, is it Friday this is going to make a decision? It will be Friday, yes. Uh, she was eager to, to, to get this heard today, uh, but uh, neither side was prepared. In fact, they felt that this was up for mention and that they, 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 hadn't, they weren't prepared to, to discuss it today. So I, I expect it to be dealt with on Friday. I don't expect Jerry Hutch to show up, although he's entitled to, but he, he's no obligation on him to show up. But perhaps this is a good segue to just mention... Uh, Maybe this is one of the reasons why Jerry Hutch is still here. Uh, we, there's been a bit of a question mark over why hasn't he left the country? Um, plenty of reports, including by ourselves, that the belief was certainly among Gardaí that Jerry Hutch wouldn't stick around because of the threat to his life. Uh, and he has a whole life for himself over in Spain and abroad. So why would he stay here? But he appears to have remained here for the last three weeks, going into the fourth week now since his uh, acquittal. And an interesting story came out, which I think is worth mentioning in the Sunday Independent, quoting a, a Hutch relative, uh, basically giving the reasoning uh, or the alleged reasoning as to why Jerry is still here. And I thought there was an interesting uh, quote in it um, or to the Gardaí and their supposed failure and that he is here as a reminder to them of their failure um, and then that he intends to for the time being anyway stick around so I thought that was worth discussing so I wonder what you think of that yeah I, I thought it was interesting I I can see what he I, I wonder is it sort of him trying to maybe rub the guards noses in it because it was it was a I'll put it this way it was a spectacular success for Jerry Hutch and for Brendan Gray I mean there's no doubt about that so look all the guidance we've got and if, I'm sure you've spoken to several sources Gardy expect Jerry Hutch to leave. They did expect him to leave very quickly, but they would be of the belief that, and there's something we'll talk about in the Sunday Indo story, which backs up my, that view in my in my view, they did expect him to leave because of fears for his security and that, as you're right, his life is really abroad. When you remember, he spent, before he was arrested and before even, we, you know, he was being sought by authorities, he was living outside Ireland and he was living the vast bulk of his time outside Ireland. So his focus, and if you remember also, when he was being extradited, do you remember one of the things he tried in the legal system in Spain? He wanted to be, if he was found guilty, he wanted to be put in jail in Spain because he was a resident, a legal resident in Spain. So, you know, that shows that his whole focus or the whole prism of which he's living is in Spain. So I don't think it's unexpected that he'll go back there. It's just a question of where. And that Sunday Endo story for me said, and effectively reading it was, he's going to go, but he's not going to go just yet. And he'll pick his time to go. But I think it will be sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if he's just sticking around. This, this might be one of the reasons why he's sticking around this particular uh, question over the costs, you know. Uh, maybe he, And maybe he's getting certain affairs in order uh, with the intention of never returning. Uh, we don't know. But, um, I but also sorry, was, sorry, sorry, just just one thing. But even if, if, if he wins, I think he's got a very good chance of winning his costs because he won the bite, despite what we'll say, and it's up to the judges. But, you know, even if he does... That won't happen very quickly because it has to go. The state will look at what the bill is. Then, if they're not happy, if they think, well, we, you know, we want it to be lower, it goes to a taxing master, who's a, a an independent judge in the high court, who decides what it's going to be. That, you know, that's not going to be today or tomorrow, and it'll be a good long one. But the hills of the hunt, my 
legal sources, we're expecting that he will get money and it'll come out of the National Treasury Management Agency, you know, the one that looks after our pensions and all. They're the ones who will ultimately pay this. So it's the taxpayer forking it out anyway. So that'll just be interesting. Wow. Um, Yeah, I just, and also on that Sunday Independent story, I thought it was worth mentioning the the allegation that uh, Jerry Hutch feels safer here than he has prior uh, given the fact that the Kinahan cartel is so weakened, we did discuss that possibility. Um, I still think there's a feeling you've mentioned it there that the, the guards still feel that there is an active threat against him and uh, indeed his brother Patsy Hutch as well. And that was mentioned in that story. Um, but apparently he does feel that he is safer given that the Kinahans are effectively being hunted and that much of their uh, more dangerous lieutenants are in prison uh, or on the run. Um, but I, I still think in, in the midst of all of that, it, he would, it would still be wise for him to, to move on. And I'd say he probably probably will. That line was near the bottom of the story. And for me, it was the most interesting aspect. It was essentially the Jerry Hutch relative going, he feels that Kenan is still intent on murdering him and Patsy. So... I, I, that jumped out at me. Now, maybe that's the, the prison through which I look at things and look at stories. But yeah, that was a big thing for me that Jerry Hutch or the relative says Jerry Hutch still feels that he's in, in danger from the Kennans, even though they are degraded and we know they're degraded, but they've still got lots of money and money can buy lots of things. Yes. Well, we'll continue to follow that with interest. Uh, I, 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 we, there are other things we want to talk about in this podcast, but the Jerry Hutch story is one that keeps on giving. Um, shall we talk about Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy? Yes, so they've both been convicted of facilitating the murder and the the maximum they can face is 15 years. You've got the actual offence there. It might be worth, because we always use shorthand for facilitating, but it's a bit more complicated than that. Yes, well, I mean, it, effectively what they have been found guilty of is is driving the getaway vehicles. And that's a very simple way of explaining it because when you're trying to write copy and uh, uh, put out the entire charge, it's very lengthy. But just to explain to people, it's under the Criminal Justice Act 2007. And it is a person, uh, if a person is found guilty under the offence uh, that they possess uh, any control of an article that gives circumstances that give rise to the reasonable inference that he or she uh possesses it for a purpose connected with the commission, preparation, facilitation or instigation of an offence. And in this case, it was the murder of David Byrne. And the the, the item that they used, obviously, was the vehicle. They provided the vehicles uh, in the aftermath of the hit to he- help the hit team es- escape. And you're right, uh, the headline sentence on this appears to be 15 years. But that is at the, the upper tier of, of this offence. And we don't expect that either of these men will, will get anything close to that. And you could there's a reasonable inference that that's the case if you just look at what was said in court today. So in relation to Jason Bonney, he has no previous convictions. Now that is oftentimes in the past, that is a huge uh, mitigating factor where you haven't come to a guard attention previously and, and the, a, a senior guard did give evidence to that effect today that Jason Bonney was not somebody that was quote on their radar uh, he wasn't he didn't come to guard attention prior um, and and that will that will stick to him and his record. And then the other thing is there there were multiple letters uh, handed into the court uh, in favour of Jason Bonney in terms of his past, uh, in terms of working within the community, working in the Trinity Boxing Club, um, and uh, with his family. Also, he took on a, a, a young lad and fostered him and raised him. And there was a letter from that particular uh, man who now lives in a foreign jurisdiction saying that uh, Jason Bonney was a huge influence on him and and. 
um, he wouldn't be the man he is today if it wasn't for him. All of that will stick to him in terms of mitigating factors in lessening that 15 years right down to something else. And then for Paul Murphy, it's the same thing. Letters were handed in in relation to him. Now, I thought the interesting nugget with Paul Murphy, that this kind of shocked me because things are sort of said and then you move on. I was stunned to learn that he had 60 plus, I think it was 67 previous convictions. Uh, this is somebody we've never heard of prior to this, but he had been in and out of the courts over the course of his life. Now, to put that into context, it's since the 1970s. Um, but it also turned out that he was... Uh, 45 of these convictions were under a previous name. So at some point in his life, he changed his name. Uh, so 45 of those convictions, and many of them are road traffic offences, uh, but he also has uh, convictions for larceny and for public order. Uh, so certainly in his case, he has a little bit more difficulty in terms of, um, you know, he can't argue that he, he didn't come to guard attention previously. You're talking over a a 30, 40 year period, all right, but he has got convictions there. So that may be considered possibly by the judges to be an uh, aggravating uh, factor. Um, But one of the cases that was mentioned, a a previous case that was mentioned uh, in the defense of uh, Paul Murphy was that of Martin Aylmer, who we know was uh, convicted of the same offense, which is facilitating a murder. In this case, it was the facilitation of the murder of Michael Barr in the Sunset House, uh, uh, April 2016. Um, and he uh, he received, I think, five years for for his offence. So that was 15 years and it was brought down. Um, and in his case, he provided mobile phones. So Paul Murphy's defence uh, barrister, um, Bernard Condon, basically said that if you are to, uh, which they'd have found his client as being guilty, you, you can't prove, there's no proof, no evidence uh, provided that he knew what he was getting himself in for. Okay, he provided the vehicle, he provided his taxi, but he didn't know that a murder had taken place. Uh, he'd signed up for something, but possibly, maybe. Um, but you, you can't argue that he had a central role uh, involvement in the shooting, in the murder, and that had to be taken into account. We'll see if the judges do take that into account, but all of those factors will mean that 15-year sentence is going to be cut right down. So I would guess, and I'm not a legal expert, but just on the basis of the previous case that I mentioned to you, Martin Aylmer, uh, and on those mitigating factors, I'd say you're talking about five years or so for each, but what do you think? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, we also should mention that Jonathan Dowdall and his brother, Father Patrick, are both, start, well, they were both convicted of the same offence of facilitating. So, so we will just remind listeners what they got. Yeah, Jonathan Dowdall got four years and the father, uh, Patrick, got two years and he, he was released last week. Um, so he didn't even do two years. So there is one difference in this. And I think Martin Aylmer, I think he pleaded guilty. He did. Yes. Uh, yes. And from memory, a couple of other people on the, say, the Kenahan side have also pleaded guilty to facilitating. Now, there's a difference here, I think. Neither, neither Bonnie nor Murphy, as we know, pleaded guilty. They, so judges usually take shave off whatever they were thinking. Say they were thinking about, say that just purely theoretically they'd go right. And the headline here will be seven years, but I'm going to take off two years because of a guilty plea. That didn't happen in this case. So that might... That'll go against them. Well, more than likely. That will obviously stand against them because they, they didn't plead at the earliest phase. But look, you're right. It, I mean, it's not going to be anywhere near, famous last words, it's not going to be anywhere near 10 years. So maybe five or six, maybe. Yeah, I, I would be surprised. And then also, 
we don't know what the judges are going to take into account, but certainly Miss Justice Tarburns took real issue in particular uh, with Jason Bonney in that he provided two alibi witnesses that uh, pushed forward this narrative that it was his father driving the BMW X5 uh, that helped uh, flat cap Kevin Murray escape uh, from, from after the aftermath of the Regency. Um, he tried to argue that his elderly father, a man who couldn't defend himself, um, was the driver of that vehicle. And we had two witnesses um that basically pushed that narrative. But the judge was very annoyed about that and called it the most malevolent lie that had been told to the court. I think that's going to stand against him massively. I think in her judgment of Jason Bonney, she's going to say, you perpetuated this quote-unquote lie uh, and attempted to have us believe it. Uh, I, I think that'll be hugely aggravating. But I still think, on the basis of everything we've said, I, I'd be... Famous last words, I'd be surprised if it was as much as 10. They they, they certainly are facing up to 15 Um but yeah. I, I, I yeah, I would suggest it'll be over five. Right. Yeah. Our listeners are go- are, are are going to give out to us when we're completely wrong now. But yeah. <laughs> yeah but just there, there are two points for me. The aggravating factor of, of that whole the alibis and the and the, as obviously the judge gets stuck in the the, the bonny about that. And secondly, not pleading guilty. So you know, that would shave stuff off. So yeah, maybe a wee bit higher than Five, I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, just on that, I, um, I did an interview where I spoke to somebody last week, uh, Peter Tyrrell's his name. He's one of those two witnesses uh, that were um, that were there for Bonnie. We didn't really speak, because of obviously everything that happened with Jerry Hutch, we didn't speak in great detail about the case against uh, either of these two men towards the end. But Peter Tyrrell, uh, what's interesting about him is that he wasn't a friend of Jason Bonney. Uh, in fact, they they were involved. He was involved in civil litigation with them over ownership of a leisure club uh, out there in North Dublin, uh, and that was said in court. Um, so he was no friend uh, of Jason Bonney, and that's what made for him for me. That's what made his evidence more interesting than um, the, just me personally speaking uh, the, than the evidence of of, an, of another lady uh, who 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 supported Bonnie's claim. She was a, a friend, uh, and a, there was history between them. But Peter Tyrrell basically said that he saw Jason Bonnie's dad driving that BMW. You know, at a very crucial time. You're talking about five minutes after uh, the Regency shooting at the Artane roundabout there. So that's about a five minute drive or so from the Regency Hotel, and he can vividly remember. Willie Bonney, uh, who's no longer with us, can't defend himself, driving that BMW. And he says, because I, 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 I basically confronted him on this and I said, well, now the judge has turned around and said that you effectively lied to the court. And he doesn't agree. And he's he also and he, he made this point of thought this was interesting. He doesn't he could care less that Jason Bonney has been convicted uh, of this crime. Uh, he said, I just went into court and said what I saw. And he believed that he that he in his mind that's what he saw and he felt that he needed to tell the court that because his evidence came at the 11th hour his wife had previously given evidence earlier in the trial uh, because the guards had come to their house in Artane and had uh, taken CCTV footage and on that footage was the BMW X5 passing by their house uh, you know seconds after it had just come through the Artane roundabout and it was only after she gave evidence uh, that Peter Tyrrell said, oh, I remember that. Uh, this is what he, he said to me. Oh, I remember that. And I, he, he came forward to Jason Bonney's solicitor and said, well, I can remember it being Willie Bonney driving that vehicle. And I can remember it because he drove at speed right up the back of me. 
and he remembers it to this day. So he he was a lastminute.com witness and and there was controversy over whether he could even give evidence, but he did give evidence and he was challenged on that. And even last week he said to me, look, I know what I saw. It was Willie Bonney driving that car. I, I knew Billy, Winnie, Willie Bonney was involved in a civil case against him. We're not friends. And it stuck out in his mind because he said he was driving so fast. He said literally up my hole. Uh, and and he can he can remember that. Um, and I said, is it possible you could have been mistaken? And he was like, I know, I know what I saw. Now, I also spoke to his wife who said he might have been mistaken, maybe, but he does maintain that is what he saw. In the end of the day, it's irrelevant uh, whether you believe him or not now because Jason Bonney has been convicted, irregardless. And and the evidence of Peter Tyrrell was effectively thrown out and uh, deemed to be part of this malevolent lie. But I do think it's interesting that he stuck to his guns and he's saying, look, I saw Willie Bonney driving that BMW. I just think that's it was worth discussing because it's a fascinating I suppose, argument, you know, that, like he's saying that his elderly father, a man in his 70s, was effectively a getaway driver in the most sophisticated gangland hit there's ever been in this country. I mean, it's hard to imagine, but uh, you, look, there you go. <laughs> it, 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 yes, just as an aside, it was a sophisticated, sophisticatedly planned gangland hit, but it was badly executed, right? But, no, anyway, yes, What what my thoughts on what Mr. Terrell is saying... And I think we spoke about this before in one of the previous pods. You can give, you can be wrong, but you can still have an honestly held belief. I think it's hard, you know, you can go into the witness box and say, this is what I believe. Now, the judge may accept it, but that's no criticism of you. People can be wrong. As the, the wife said, he may be mistaken. And, you know, nobody should be criticised. That's his honestly held belief. And he went in and he swore and he, and he got, but people can be mistaken. Yeah, I, I thought personally, again, I'm only giving my own personal opinion, but I thought when he gave evidence at the time, that was the strongest uh, witness for Jason Bonney. And, and that was the strongest argument uh, that he had against him possibly being the driver of the car, because you had an individual who seemingly had no personal relationship with him. But as I said, that's irrelevant now. Um, and even though he's sticking... And Miss Justice Tara Burns didn't She agree. didn't agree. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it, it's fascinating to see now, like if they get five years, um, even with that, they'll probably serve, what, three in prison? So... Well, you get 20, 25%. So they've been, they were put into custody on the 17th upon conviction, weren't they? So they've had three weeks in custody. So that'll be, no, that, I know it's not a long time, but that will be taken into account. So it'll be backdated to the 17th of April when they get put in. But yes, so you look, you, you it's backdated, so that'll be a month off and then it's you serve 75% effectively of whatever you're given. You can go for enhanced remission, but I think that's more for long-term prisoners. So yeah, it, it, it'll do, if you get if they get four, he'll do three. Yeah. Or they'll there's, do three. There's two things I wanted to say about about these that we didn't get to say in the, the, the other pod. Like, obviously this was a huge victory uh, for the guards and for the state in that in that two people were convicted in relation to the murder of David Byrne. Uh, well, four people, really. You've got Patrick Dowdall, Jonathan Dowdall, and, and now Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy. And uh, let's not understate that fact that there were convictions in this case. And the guards do feel um, that they got some victory in this. Obviously, and even the guard commissioner said it was a setback uh, that Jerry Hutch walked, and there are reasons for that um, that we've outlined previously. But but that was a victory for the guards, is what I want to mention. And the other thing uh, that I noticed uh, just not a body language expert, but it was interesting to watch uh, both of these men in court today. 
and to see the difference because throughout the trial Jason Bonnie and Paul Murphy were always kind of bantering and joking around and talking to everybody I mean they would I mean if you saw them in the smoking area of the CCJ they'd come over and say oh hell yeah you know and you'd say oh hell yeah they were very despite the fact that they were on trial uh they 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 were quite they never really looked particularly stone-faced but the the difference three weeks in prison makes uh they just looked Totally shaken, uh, I thought, uh, in court today. Reality bites. And look, the other thing about the guard investigation, we also have to remember it's still alive. And the guards made a fresh appeal for information after the acquittal of Mr. Hutch. So, and we know that there are other people, shall we say, of interest. So the investigation is very much ongoing and people have been named. So we'll soon see what happens if there's any other developments. I'd say there probably will be, but who knows? Exactly. Well, we'll keep doing pods for as long as there are developments. No doubt. Great stuff. Okay, thanks very much for listening to us. Uh, We'll be back to you later in the week, maybe with something else to talk about. We'll see. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.